Hey everyone and welcome! It's been such a fast week, it seems like I was just doing this recently. But in any case, I wasn't. It's been a full week, so welcome to this Thursday night show. Alright, so I want to go ahead and just jump in, because that's my thing. And I did see that we should start our show with a discussion about M&Ms, you know, the, the chocolates, because they're making some important strides in keeping up with the culture and have decided that their characters you know, their M&Ms with legs that come on TV every once in a while, should be more inclusive. Just as a reminder, in the past when you saw these M&M characters and you were thinking, they're not inclusive and I don't feel represented, well, now that's about to change, uh, apparently, because they have changed the green character who was previously kind of promiscuous, right? And they instead put tennis shoes on her because she had high heels on and that just wasn't appropriate apparently because she was too feminine or something and then they took the the brown character and put the high heels on her and she is apparently um what was the expression that they used it was oh not bossy just the boss so in other words the black female character sorry brown female character is going to be the bossy one but don't read anything into that they're just being inclusive you know because some bossy brown people didn't feel included, I guess. But what I do notice is when I look at M&Ms, I actually don't see any white ones. And the thing is, I don't know if you guys know this, but you can actually get white M&Ms. Uh, and they, they have like white chocolate in them instead of regular chocolate. Uh, but the thing is, you can only get them alone. You can't just, you know, get like a, a set of M&Ms that have white ones built in. Instead, you have to go ahead and buy one of these packets. And you look at that and you go, like, why are the whites all alone? Because, like, you pour that thing into a bowl, you know, like, you have all of your different white M&Ms. And it's difficult to do that, I would imagine, without it looking like you're kind of giving some kind of a signal. Like, we have M&Ms, but we just have the white ones. <laughs> How do you do that? I don't know. I don't... It's not me coming up with this. It's them. They have this sort of, like, no-coloreds packet, if that's, like, your thing. Um, I don't know who came up with that. It wasn't me. I wasn't the one who's, like hey, we need to segregate the white ones out. But that was, that was M&M's. And now that they're being more inclusive, I haven't actually seen a plan to add the whites to the rest of the colors. Instead, the whites are still separate from the colors. The colors are just becoming a little bit more dynamic, apparently, and uh, less gender-oriented, I suppose. Okay, I should stop with this. Um, but really, it just kind of writes itself. It's them that's doing this stuff. They're the ones who are like, well, you know, the, the green one just seems too feminine with her high heels. Let's put some tennis shoes on and make her a little bit more gender dysphoric or something like that. I, I don't know. I don't know how these people think. I'm trying to empathize, and that's where I get going with this stuff, because I'm like, so who is it that was like, no, we can't do the high heels, but they have to go on the brown one because she's bossy you know and, and then i start thinking about the white ones that are separate and i'm like well you know okay um you follow the train of thought and it's just like where it ends up is not my fault that's all i'm saying okay <laughs> we'll move on oh tom says next will be transgender m&ms well you know it's what the green one is eventually going to come out you know it's got the tennis shoes on now it's the first step and then eventually it'll be like Okay, um, I'm going to change and I'm changing my shirt and I'm going to change my hair and before you know it, the, the green M&M will be a man. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, John Cox, as a nation we're going backwards, I've not seen this level of racism since slavery was legal. Um, 
it's maybe I should take it more seriously, but when you kind of have these like woke corporations that try and come out with announcements like this, surely for the sake of appeasing the, the Twitter crowd, I have difficulty taking it seriously. Yes, I think it's emblematic of the sort of culture that we live in, in which they feel like they have to constantly make these statements of contrition, like, we care so much about diversity and inclusion that our M&M cartoon character things, which actually don't exist in a gendered way in reality because they're just cartoons, need to be changed and they'll be inclusive and we will adapt just you know, till the end of time, until in 10 years from now, all of our characters don't seem to have any gender whatsoever, and nobody can relate to them because nobody's actually like that. And that's the direction that they're going, and I'm just sitting here going, okay, you know, you go for that, I guess, if that's your thing. Um, down with the culture, I suppose. We have to destroy it before we can build it back up. Uh, that's where I am. So, yeah, you can feel the mood tonight, right? <laughs> okay, do you guys remember... Um, in it was 2015 and there was this big case about um coach kennedy he became known as and it was at washington high school this was a retired marine corps gunnery sergeant who was suspended because he was basically praying on the field right and he got he got fired after the, the school district ordered him to stop praying publicly but to himself he wasn't telling other people to to pray with him or anything like that he just kind of you know prayed by himself and people could see it and it was a an expression of his faith as they put it and so he he got fired and this has been a case that again it's been going on since 2015 still going on um the group called first liberty is defending this guy and earlier this month the ninth circuit court of appeals which is probably infamous amongst you guys at least it ought to be because it's one of the most leftist courts in the country trump tried to kind of improve that somewhat but Honestly, it's still on the wrong side. It's still very much a political court. They ruled against him, said that he was lawfully fired, despite the fact he was clearly, you know, fired for his uh, religious convictions that were not interfering with his with his job. Now, uh, the Supreme Court of the United States has finally agreed to review this case. They actually pushed it away uh, before when you had a different distribution on the Supreme Court when you only had four Republicans. I, I'm hesitant to call them uh, conservatives at this point because I've seen the way that they have ruled. But in any case, you only had four before. Now, officially, there's a majority. And even unofficially, there's a chance of him actually winning. So that case should be heard this spring. We should have a decision in late June. And so it could actually be a really important case, as it turns out. And I do hope the guy wins. This is it's a ridiculous amount of time. What's that, seven years? Um, you know, I'm a woman, so I can't do math, you know, but uh, seven years that he's been kind of going through this case. And that's, that shouldn't be the case. I think that just about everyone who has looked at this saw that he was trying to be respectful, and yet he just kind of did his own thing, stepped aside privately. Um, the fact that you could see him was just too much, you know, a, a, an actual expression of his faith. And you don't see whenever, like, those of other faiths try to do this when you see like Muslims who are praying, nobody, you know, kind of says, no, you can't do that because that's considered an infringement. Um, a fair and speedy trial, says one of the commenters. Yeah, exactly. And it's not a fair and speedy trial at all. No, hold on. Jonathan Lewis says, pray for me. I'm in Canada and it's turning into Australia. Yes, I, I have a lot of friends and fans, there's a lot of overlap there at this point, um, who live in Canada and who are 
losing their rights over there, and especially as it relates to uh, vaccine mandates and freedom of movement, it really is um, hard for a lot of people there. I, I recognize that, and it does seem like the government is against you and is infringing on your rights. Because it only takes one encroaching election for things to change, as we've seen over in Britain. I'll get to that later. Um, but do hang in there, okay? I realize that you're, you're going through quite a lot um, with that. And it is evil what governments throughout the, the West have done to their people in reducing them from citizens into slaves whose very bodies are owned by the government. And that, that, is, that is literally the, the change that has happened, right? We had, a few years ago, the government's throughout the West would pretend like, right, but at least give lip service to the idea that individuals had individual freedoms enough to have autonomy to make their own medical decisions. And nobody wanted the government to start making those medical decisions. That was, you know, something that came up time and time again when we debated the merits of socialized medicine, um, when we debated the, the merits of having um, different databases with interstate agreements and all of that. There were lots of conversations there, but everyone was concerned about the government's making healthcare decisions. Now, suddenly, um, the majority of people, it would seem, or at least half the people, don't care about any of that. Now they think that the government is the best friend of all of us, should make medical decisions for us, um, and that we don't have a right over our own bodies. So that was actually a pretty rapid change, and I realized that there's been a massive propaganda uh, campaign throughout the last couple of years, and I realized that the governments involved have used a very kind of incremental approach in order to eliminate people's rights. I get that. But still, it's been a lot in just a couple of years. Um, Geek Riken Z says, or, the, or Z, I don't know if they do in Puerto Rico, um, says the same is going on in Puerto Rico. It's becoming a dictatorial territory. Yes, and I also heard that apparently they were uh, requiring vaccinated people or requiring that people that arrived be vaccinated, which was um, kind of alarming considering that it's an actually U.S. territory, so they're interfering with the freedom of movement essentially between U.S. territories, right? And I realize Puerto Rico is not a state before someone screams, um, but in any case, it is considered a U.S. territory, and so that's kind of a new ground uh, to breach as far as, you know, people's basic rights go, right? You're supposed to have the right to travel in the United States. Um, between states, between territories, if you're a United States citizen, uh, regardless of your vaccination status, and yet yeah, that's where we are. Um, let's see. Sharon, was anybody else as surprised as I was at Starbucks dropping the vaccine mandate? I thought it was hilarious that Starbucks has dropped the vaccine mandate, but you know who hasn't? Carhartt. Now, who saw that coming? And I'm not trying to be facetious, but Star, uh, yeah. So you got Starbucks. For those who don't know, who were requiring their uh, employees to get vaccinated in accordance with the Biden administration's edict, right? The executive order that was going to have the Occupational Safe and Safety and Health Commission, uh, OSHA or OSHA, uh, was going to have them step in and force everybody to get get vaccinated. Now that the Supreme Court has ruled that that's no longer the case, uh, in fact, that the Biden administration doesn't have that authority, Starbucks rescinded and said, well, we're not going to push that either as a private corporation. Well, great. I mean, I'm surprised. I figured they'd still say, well, we have a private, you know, a private right to do so, which I realize it's a new thing, but still, I expected that from a corporation that is known to be as 
woke or as leftist, whichever term you wish, as Starbucks. They didn't. Carhartt, which is a company that is considered to be conservative, that uh, certainly appeals to more middle-class Americans, sort of outdoorsy types and so on, their audience, by and large, are more ordinary, uh, frankly, just conservative people. They have decided that despite the ruling in the Supreme Court, they're going to force their, employ their employees to get a vaccine mandate. And that's, that's horrific, frankly, because it's like, <laughs> I mean, it, it would be bad either way. Like, for example, even if the Supreme Court had ruled that the Biden administration has that authority, honestly, I would think that a CEO in good conscience couldn't enforce it. If I was the CEO, I, I, I would be like, no. You know, I'm not going to enforce that because it's evil and it's wrong and I don't have the moral authority over other people's autonomy to tell them what they do as far as their medical decisions. Okay, but, you know, Supreme Court ruled the right way for once. And so I would think that Carhartt would, would rescind, but instead they're like, no, no, we, we on our own merits. It's not that we're being forced in some sense, by the, by the Biden administration. We just really want to do this. We just really want to infringe upon uh, our employees' uh, rights and freedoms. So yeah, that was um, pretty shocking when you just let a look at like Carhartt and then, and then Starbucks. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of confused. It wasn't supposed to be like this, you know. Uh, um, okay, I'm just scrolling through your chats here real quick. In Puerto Rico, the pro-American party has become full fascist with the COVID mandates. Um, uh, Jonathan Lewis says, Justin Trudeau in Canada has outlawed Christian belief about homosexuality. Yes, and I think I'll probably do a, a separate show about that topic. So I realize that they really are encroaching. Well, they have encroached. I don't think it's even an encroaching. That they have en encroached and crossed the line um, when it comes to uh, telling people they can't seek conversion therapy if they want it which just to every time i bring up conversion therapy there's always someone who's like why do you want to electrocute the gays um so to, just to correct that when i say conversion therapy it's a reference to when people have homosexual ideations that they do not want and they speak to a therapist to deal with the issues often like childhood trauma that so that they can actually move on so they're that basically so many of these people were, were damaged, their sexuality was damaged in childhood, and they're still suffering from that. And they can talk to a therapist who's trained in this and skilled at this and, and fix that part about themselves so they can have basically a, a normal, healthy family from there on, which is what we should want for everybody. And if they want that, I can't see a, a moral argument against it, but people like the like Justin Trudeau and like those on the left will argue very much against it because it gets in the way of their entire worldview because their worldview is they were born this way. And if it's reversible through therapy, then it proves that that's not the case. That there aren't in fact two mutually acceptable sexual orientations, but rather there is one healthy state of being and there are many different disorders from that, but there is only one healthy state of being. And that is, I mean, that just runs so counter to the modern leftist thought at this point that they have really kind of hooked into and decided that is um, the hill that they will die on. And so they want to do anything that they can uh, to, to fix that, to, to hide and prevent those people 
from ever kind of becoming healed. And they're doing it at the expense of the people they're proclaiming to help, right? At the expense of the so-called gay community, the expense of, of, of homosexuals who are not happy with that position they're in. And that's the thing, they're, they're harming those people and pretending like they're doing a service to that community. And that's just, it, it's, it's evil and, and wrong on so many, so many levels. Okay. Okay, I see you about Project Veritas and what they exposed about the virus. I did sort of barely cover that um, last week. Uh, but yeah, you're welcome to, to check that out. They've been banned just about everywhere. Their videos have, except for like on uh, Telegram and Gab and places like that, which you should definitely look at. Um, Gerald Key says, you need to get blue blocking glasses to help with your, your headaches. I, I do, in fact. I, I do use them. I have astigmatism. So yeah, you're absolutely right. I don't get them very often, but last week was really rough. Uh, Sharon says, I emailed Carhartt, told them I was disappointed in their decision, and I won't be buying their products anymore. Well, good for you. Because honestly, I mean, like, it's, it's this company that's, like, dedicated. I imagine, like, 80% of their audience is conservative. And conservatives have traditionally cared something about personal freedoms um, and have been opposed to mandates regarding, you know, fundamental health decisions. So... Absolutely, I applaud that. Okay, let me jump down. Okay, uh, I, I want to show you something actually. See, but before I do, a little bit of background here. AA, in this particular context for this particular story, is not Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a roadside assistance company in England called, I think, the Automotive Association. It's been a while. But in any case, I wanted to show you this Twitter thread that got started in reference to this company. Okay, so Helen Mott says, Hi, AA. I'm a lone woman whose car has broken down at night in the dark. Your call handler has told me you treat lone women and lone men as exactly the same priority in such circumstances because, quote, that's equality, unquote. AA responds with, Hi, Helen. You've been advised correctly. We don't prioritize based on gender. We do consider the location as an example. We would prioritize someone on a motorway, in other words, a highway, over someone in a supermarket car park. Um, so parking lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm the British to American translator tonight. Um, but what, what's, what, what's interesting about this case is that woman, Helen, I looked at her profile. She's a feminist. <laughs> that's actually in her profile she's not just a feminist it's an important part of her being so she feels that it's so important that she put it in her profile right it's it's foundational to who she is now feminists have been screaming for some time about how women and men aren't different they're the same they can do all the same things and for that reason they should be allowed to serve in combat etc those same people have claimed that chivalry is sexism <laughs> Then those people are outraged when they're forced to live up to those same standards, right? When they're forced to sort of live that, then they're outraged? I mean, shouldn't she be happy? I mean, wasn't the guy right at the call center who was like, that's equality? I mean, he hadn't seen her Twitter profile, which, you know, just kind of makes it even funnier for some reason. But in any case, had he, I'm sure he would have found it much funnier and would have had like a sarcastic remark to that. that that's equality. Um, but in truth, yes, there is a different level of risk to a man in that instance than there is to a woman. The risk is not equal. 
because men and women are not equal. Right? I mean, this is... I, I hope this is um, obvious, but I think we've reached a point in society where, especially in corporate environments, people have to sort of pretend like they don't see sex, like they don't they don't see it. Like, like well, you're obviously exactly the same as a guy. I wouldn't presume that you're in any more danger sitting out there in the dark for ninety minutes as a man, you know? Because why would I, right? And it's this sort of uh, feigned blindness, sorry, bl feigned blindness even, that we're engaging in. And I, I do think there's some kind of danger to that, and we're going in that direction. Like, basically, it's part of the larger picture of all of us pretending not to see truth. And by all of us, I mean society. I don't necessarily mean you guys watching the stream. You guys are great. Um, but, <laughs> but in any case, there is a pattern here, and of course, Obviously, that goes in the direction of like trans people, especially um, because at that point you're you're engaging in the lie, you're walking with them and saying yes, of course, of course you're a woman. You say to the guy in drag um, when he's not, because it's easier for you, and because there's less pressure societally if if we all sort of walk in a lie. That's the situation that that we're in, and when you have this sort of feminism like that you're in the same situation it's it's another manifestation of the collective push to deny what is true and i i think that's dangerous uh sharon says be careful what you wish for feminists yeah exactly jp says cancer is greater or is better than feminism well most things are but and you know there are a lot of feminists now who have been written off from the feminist movement because it's kind of fragmented after transgenderism the 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 old the older school feminists who don't like men like really don't like men and so they 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 don't want to deal with the sort of trans men who pretend to be women don't want them in the feminist movement they've been kicked out of like modern feminism feminism like is like this really weird uh, movement at the moment because they can't define what a woman is so it's really confused but what's interesting about the whole thing is that they led the way to the trans stuff. By saying that men and women are exactly the same, they, they sort of paved the way for us to go, well, okay, so why can't we just switch? And, and of course, interestingly, these women who are always claiming that you know, men get so many more benefits, you don't usually see, it's very rare to see women going in the direction of being men. You, you're much more likely to see men becoming women um, for, the, for the different benefits offered to women in society. Um, but there goes there goes chivalry too because you know men aren't going to pretend um, that that other guy is a woman and open the door for him. But anyway, um, John Cox says, "Yeah, those ideals are all fine and good until things get real and you're a lone woman broken down in the middle of nowhere." Yeah, exactly. And when they're forced to sort of live their their ideals, they just realize how they're built on a lie when they're sitting out there waiting for ninety minutes. Um. <clears throat> uh, not women with a concealed carry uh, weapon or concealed carry permit. And, and that's one of the biggest, like, I don't know, um, one, of the, one of the best, like, pro-gun arguments, if you, if you really kind of get down to it and away from the whole just we have rights, is, is the fact that it allows a person who's weaker to defend against someone who's stronger or 
some cases against multiple opponents that they wouldn't be able to do otherwise. And that's the thing, you know, the, the, the gun is the equalizer. And that's why I, I covered uh, over the past few years, not usually in live streams, usually in actual singular shows, instances where you have people who could have only survived if it weren't for the gun. Like there was, I remember there was one case where there was a guy who was like a Trump supporter or something and he had stumbled into or began recording inside of this massive like Black Lives Matter protest. They all attacked him and he pulled out a gun, they ran and it was caught on CCTV footage. He didn't have to shoot anybody, but he just simply showed the weapon and showed that he was capable of defending himself and that was enough. And there were, diff there were like um, hundreds of thousands of instances every year in the United States in which that exact scenario happens, which somebody shows a gun, demonstrates that they're capable of defending themselves and the attacker um, submits you know, actually doesn't attack the person. And then there were the cases, um, I did one a while back in which a woman was riding a motorcycle and there was a road rage incident. When they stopped at a light, a guy got out of a van and started just beating on her and she had it down on the ground and she was losing consciousness and uh, realized in and out of consciousness that she actually had a gun. Um, and she shot this guy at point blank range. She was like literally on top of her beating her. Um, and she shot him and obviously he died, uh, but she in doing so saved her own life. So there are cases like that that I think helped sort of wake other people up who haven't ever considered these decisions, oh, these kind of points, I should say. And I know it's, it's easy for a lot of us who've been in this, um, who've been on, uh, on this side politically for, all of our lives or for most of our lives have been awake for a while um, it's easy for us to just kind of assume that everybody knows but the truth is there are people coming out of um, high schools and colleges all the time who've never even heard these arguments who don't understand the, the instances in which a gun is absolutely necessary and nothing else um, would have helped like that particular woman she wasn't capable of fighting the guy off and she needed the gun and it saved her life um, that's the kind of situation that we're in um, women with a concealed carry weapon are real women. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, oh, TERFs. Yeah, okay, so Wakefield uh, Tolbert reminded me of, yeah, TERF is the term that the feminists use to exclude the feminists who don't like the trans people. It's called trans-exclusionary radical feminists. And that's that term that they use so that, so that if you, if you're a feminist and you're like, that, that guy is a guy and I don't want him in my in my bathroom, if you're that feminist, um, you're not a real feminist. You're a turf. It's crazy crap. Um, it's, it's so, I don't know, so, so modern and it's just ridiculousness. Okay, I did not mean to go on that long rant, by the way, about concealed carry and, and just and weapons. It was not on my itinerary, but in any case, you guys are great tonight. Um, it's, it's a good crowd. Okay. But let's, let's move on, because I don't want to mention that Democrats now, after lauding the most secure election in history, which was the last election, you know, that was the most secure election in history, we have been assured, and, and I believe it, because I'm streaming on YouTube, um, those Democrats are now talking about how unsafe elections are. And I'm outraged. I don't know about you, um, but I thought we weren't allowed to discuss unsafe elections. I thought that was... I thought that was a threat to democracy. In fact, I thought that when Hillary Clinton, you know, it was Hillary Clinton who said that, that somebody who cast doubt about election results was a threat to democracy. That was Hillary Clinton. And you know how I am? I, I, loved, I love to quote Hillary Clinton because that's like my thing, you know. 
heroes and all. Never meet them. Uh, but in any case, now it turns out that we should all be concerned. Um, we had a great election last time. I mean, it couldn't have been more accurate because we had more votes for Joe Biden than we've ever had for any president ever. So, I mean, how doesn't that mean? That means accurate, right? Apparently. <laughs> Apparently. We're told. Sign on. You know, that's the way that it is. Don't question it. Um, but their election reform bill, which I don't know why we needed it because it was so safe and secure, but their election reform bill failed um, because they failed to nuke the filibuster that they needed in order to pass the election reform bill that was previously HR1. Um, it was the election reform bill, just as a reminder, that got rid of voter ID and that federalized the entire system so that it's all it was all controlled nationally instead of having individual states making their own rules and so on. That was that was the election reform bill. Yeah. Anybody can walk up and pretend to be anyone. That's the, that's the kind of election reform we're talking about. Um, it also had like mail uh, mail in ballots like throughout the throughout the entire United States and so on, uh, where they just kind of sort of auto auto send out ballots that anybody can fill out, um, as one does when one wants a very free and fair election that's well counted and cannot be questioned. Biden, at his, if we can call it a press conference, he was asked if the midterm elections that are upcoming would be legitimate. And he said, and I quote, well, it all depends on whether or not we're able to make the case to the American people that some of this is being set up to try to alter the outcome of the election. Unquote. Yeah, exactly. How can you argue with logic like that? Allow me to put it a little simpler. Um, if Democrats win, it was a good election. If Democrats win, the whole thing was perfect. It was exactly, you know, executed. And there wasn't a single problem with it. And if you, if you doubt it, if you have problems with the election after a Democrat wins, then you're a threat to democracy. However, you know, if, if a Republican wins, then it's probably because of the Russians. I don't make the rules. I'm just, I'm basically a journalist here. Um, and I'm doing the journalism thing. This is, this is like my new thing. I, I'm just like, you know, uh, I'm trying to get a job on MSNBC, so I'm doing the best I can here. And if a Republican wins, um, the Russians have been involved. Um, and they're the big threat. It's not China. It's, it's the Russians. They've been involved. And we have to just kind of assume that the Democrat, in fact, won. And maybe go to the Supreme Court and, and change some stuff around. Because, you know, Kavanaugh was pushed in wrong, too. So we should go ahead and put... The, the guy who's currently the attorney general and who is, yeah, that guy. We should put him in the, in the place. Yeah, so, that, <laughs> you know, it's amazing to me that we're having this discussion. Because honestly, the, the incredible audaciousness of some people who told us with a straight face that this was the most secure election in history have told us that consistently. These people have said that questioning that election um, is so bad that people should be kicked off of, um, off of social media. They should be kicked off of every video platform because they're a what? A threat to democracy. Yes, exactly. Those people are like, 
The election isn't secure. The upcoming election that hasn't happened yet isn't secure. The last one was, but the new one, no, the last one was fine. The new one won't be. We don't know why, but we need this new bill. What? I mean, seriously, the level of audaciousness in that is just unbelievable. And that's, that's what they're saying. And you're supposed to just accept that. Like that isn't, you know, <laughs> that isn't a, a living contradiction at all. No. And so they're now instead, they're just really mad at um, Joe Manchin and uh, what's, what's her name? Uh, Kirsten Sinema, the two uh, Democrat senators who voted against the elimination of the filibuster for the sake of pushing in the election reform bill that we supposedly didn't need, but did. We didn't need it before, but we need it now. Tom says they're drinking their own Kool-Aid. It seems like they just are really hoping that no one's paying attention. That's all I can figure. Is they're just really hoping that no one's keeping up with what they've got going on. Because how could you? I mean, they have to be just hoping so hard that nobody's paying any attention so they can just like change lies um, every you know, six months to a year and everyone will just kind of start regurgitating whatever lie they're going with. That's, that's all I can figure. I, I try to make sense of them. Um, I want to choice my vote. Yeah, good luck with that. Um, good luck with that. That's all I can say. Uh, Joe says my favorite journalist, to be honest. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. It would be fun on, on uh, MSNBC. I, I had a, a a friend who's a fellow video creator who texted me and said, you know, The View is looking for a conservative. <laughs> I was like, I can see that, you know, I, it would be. Yeah, I, I can really see that happening. I don't know about you guys, but I would really fit in as the next Meghan McCain. Because that is the kind of conservative that, that they're looking for. That is exactly the kind of conservative they're looking for. Someone who was, well, a lot like the other McCain, right? Um, that kind of a conservative who's a Republican, who um, cares about those stocks more than anything, doesn't want to change anything about culture, wants to give a wink and a nod to gay marriage, um, wants to talk about how bad Trump's tweets were because they just, they were just not quite acceptable to our political scene and seemed a little bit indecent. And, you know, there was that video that Trump put out, you know, that one of him in the locker room, there was all of that, and that kind of conservative who's constantly apologizing for what different Republicans have done. Um, yeah, I could, I could totally, you know, it would be so much fun if I could actually get that, that job though, and actually go in. And, and give real opinions, it would be amazing. Um, yeah, that, that would be a dream. Um, not for the reasons that it's supposed to be. Um, <laughs> okay, anyway. Yeah, they're, they're looking for a Bush Republican, exactly. That's what they're looking for, um, which is, is not me. <clears throat> so uh, anyway, uh, we'll, we'll move on. Um, do you remember, it hasn't been that long, so this is what I'm talking about with the constant like news cycle and they're constantly changing their positions, but uh, remember the story in Canada of the hundreds of children's remains that were found outside the Indian school, by Indian I mean like native people, uh, schools over in Canada and uh, these were church-run schools and it was said to be indicative of a racial genocide basically against the the native peoples um justin trudeau at the time said quote it 
It's a painful reminder of that dark and shameful chapter of our country's history, unquote. And so all these different leftist politicians came out and issued their statements about how outraged they were, about how white people had obviously institutionally murdered Indian children for no reason, just because that's what they do. Because all white people do, especially churchy white people. You know, they're like the ultimate evil. Um, and there were different ideas of, of why they killed them or how they killed them. They were undernourished, they were severely abused, and so on. But it turns out they never exhumed any bodies. Yes, this story of the hundreds of different um, bodies didn't involve bodies. And this is why, I'm sorry, I shouldn't cover this story while smiling, but since we have no bodies, I can, because there are actually no deaths. They haven't exhumed a single body. They never found any bodies. Instead, I kid you not, they used radar and detected abnormalities that kind of looked like bodies. Now they know that at least some of them, and maybe all of them, were tree roots. And this, this spot where they found the, the quote-unquote mass grave, otherwise known as bumpy ground, that's an apple orchard. I'm sorry, I'm really struggling to cover this with a straight face, but the thing is, people got mad at me for this topic. I received stuff in the mail over this topic, because people were so outraged that I wasn't covering it with the, the, the right degree of outrage. That I was supposed to jump all over different churches, including and especially the Catholic Church, because they had obviously murdered these Indian people, because that's, you know, what happened back in the day, and... And I wasn't, and instead at the time I was like, well, you know, if we have these um, these bodies, then why aren't we just assuming that it's a disease or something? Can we not just assume that it was just, uh, you know, white people who are murderous? Like, why is that our instant assumption? Because there were, at different points in time, instances where people died, right? There were, there were illnesses that went around and killed people, lots of them, you know? Uh, certain groups have less immunity to certain conditions than others. That happens. And that was my statement at the time. And that really outraged some people who said that I was obviously, I obviously hated Indians. And and they sent this stuff, like literally like packets in the mail, like I was supposed to be um, covering this differently and instead just, you know, going all out. Um, it, it, it It was crazy. And now it turns out that there wasn't a single body. Um, really, not one. They ran an entire international news story about this. It should have been in my uh, 2021 lies video. I regret that it wasn't now. Um, it could have had a spot, but I didn't know yet. I just found out they didn't have any bodies, which is a much smaller news story than when they did, right? It was it was a much smaller news story when, than when they had the bumpy ground. And that's what I'm going to call it, because that's what it is. They found... <laughs> they used a radar gun, found bumpy ground in an orchard. In an orchard, for real. And they're like, bodies. See what the white people did again? Do you see what they did? And, and I'm supposed to take this story seriously, and we're supposed to just run with it and go, well, you see what those Christians did? Oh, you know, you see what those white people did. Uh, apparently that, that's what we're supposed to do. But it's like, uh, they didn't exhume a single one. They didn't 
look. They just saw bumps and went with it, and it made the international news like it was this massive crime that had been uh, detected. No. Krista Espival says leftists colon I see dead people. Yeah, they see they see evil white people wherever they look is what they see. I like bump, bumpy ground. Yeah, we know what that is. We know what that is. We've seen history. We know what white civilization was built on. <laughs> okay. Um, sorry. Uh, I, I'm being bad tonight, apparently. But um, Harati says I'm st on D Live says I'm starting to think every everything bad my people ever did is a lie. I can see why you'd say that. Um, and look. Yes, some white people have done some bad things throughout the history of the entire world. And I'm pretty sure so have everybody else. You know, that's the thing. And you know what's, what's interesting? And here's the, here's the angle where I, I shouldn't go, but let's go anyway. White people don't usually lord their darkest history in the way that some others do. Like, <laughs> like if you look over the Aztecs and stuff and you see these like modern Mexicans who are like my my people were Aztecs and I'm like but they cut out hearts and they did human sacrifices right and the thing is I get it you know people throughout history have done really messed up stuff it's just that I don't see the English people saying my people were druids I don't they don't do that I know, I, I, I've lived in England, and they've never gone, you know, the Druids were the best part of my history. So, there is that. And the, there are a lot of different racial dynamics there, if you look at different groups and what they lord. But it's really interesting to me that at least in white culture, this is, is, is more culture than racial, but in white culture, culture you don't have the, the heralding of the darkest moments. Sorry, darkest moments. Um, you, you don't have the, the heralding of the bad spots. Um, we herald the parts that were good, and we acknowledge them, and we want to build from them, and we should do more of that. And I think it's a problem in our um, in our modern education and what we teach people that we don't do more of that. I think it's a problem that we don't teach people, hey, people died so that you can have the civilization that you have today, and. These are the people who, who willingly sacrificed their lives to build the West, to build what was formerly known as Christendom, right? And to hand down the incredible culture that we have. Um, JP says, still a lot of paganism going on in Stonehenge. It's really sad. That is true. It is not part of regular white culture, however. Um, Lawrence says, Aztecs made that one great film, Apocalypto. I, I, I don't know it. So I'm I'm gonna I'm just gonna move on from that because I don't know it. Oh, uh, speaking of uh, religious-run uh, educational facilities, though, I did hear that Chicago parents are turning to like Catholic schools now because the public schools are shutting down so much that these parents are so frustrated by all the different shutdowns and the COVID rules um, that have remote learning and all this stuff that they're actually moving into Catholic schooling, which is like really. It's bizarre because we're talking about parents who aren't Catholics, but they're that frustrated that they're like, okay, we're just, we just want our kids to get a decent education, so we're going to turn to the church. Because, you know, Catholic schools, you see what happens with those orchards, bumpy, bumpy areas, and so on. Okay, <laughs> moving on. Because um, this is getting bad. 
Um, let, let's talk about something else. Um, in 2014, a 17-year-old named James Tubbs attacked a 10-year-old girl. Uh, he followed her into the bathroom of a Denny's in Palmdale, uh, California. He held her by the throat and forced his hand down the 10-year-old girl's pants. He only stopped when someone came into the restroom. He ran away before he could be apprehended. Um, that man, James Tubbs, has now been through a name change. He calls himself Hannah Tubbs nowadays. He uh, was two weeks short of being 18 at the time that he did the crime um, back in 2014. And he, because of that, the DA now that he has been been identified, is refusing to send the case to the adult court. Now, this usually happens all over the place, that you'll have, uh, when someone's 17, they commit a very adult crime, it's tried in an adult court, and the person gets treated like an adult. But in this case, you have an L.A. Uh, district attorney, a guy named George Gaskin, who is not interested in doing that. And this is George Gaskin. This is how Democrats and, in fact, George Soros, rather directly, interfere with our society, basically. They can make real changes and they can affect real people's lives by getting in these positions. You see, the perpetrator of, of the crime, I'm not going to call him Hannah, considering that he sexually assaulted someone, his real name, James Tubbs, right? Um, he was tracked down using DNA after he was arrested years later, after the assaulting the 10-year-old, in a 2019 battery case. He now has an extensive criminal history, including a number of assaults, including some uh, using weapons. He is 26 years old, <clears throat> and the DA doesn't want him to go to prison because he's trans and might get mistreated in prison. That is evil. Um... We should not spare people from prison because we think the other prisoners might be mean to them. We should not spare people who are not only pedophilic, but to someone who's, I mean, this is prepubescent pedophilia. It is forced. It is violent. It will cause a trauma, unfortunately, for that 10-year-old girl. The individual who perpetrated this crime should be dealt with. Um and should be incarcerated. Just to be clear, I wasn't telling anyone to hunt anyone down, um, and should be incarcerated and dealt with. And in fact, that hasn't happened because of this DA who thinks that instead, no, he shouldn't get deal jail time. And again, this is a district attorney. He's not, he's not the defender. I expect the, you know, the guy defending <clears throat> to be this way, but the district attorney is the prosecution side and he's not willing to basically do his job. And the sheriff's department in the case is livid as they should be. John Cox says, so what happens to the rights of the 10-year-old girl? Exactly. Um, she's marginalized. Her, her right to justice is ignored and denied. And this is starting to happen around the country because you really have had um, Soros-related funding of DAs that should have stopped. Um, and it hasn't. It's spread throughout the United, throughout the United States. There have been all these different DAs who've been uh, sponsored um, by similar leftist groups, usually funded, like, if you go far enough back, by Joe Soros. Actually, I think uh, Tucker did a, Tucker Carlson did a big expose on this uh, about a year ago. And real people become the victims of it. And this, this then 10-year-old girl um, 
probably closer to an adult now, is uh, is suffering the results of it, and it's 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 evil, and that's why I'm drawing attention to it because I think that people should pay attention to this kind of case. Um, it is wrong. Oh, and before I forget, because I, I do want to mention this, Nick Fuentes, um, he's a he's a, a guy who does live streams who's on the right. Um, I don't agree with everything that he says, but in any case, he's been subpoenaed by the January 6th commission. And that's wrong. Basically, they're on a, a witch hunt trying to find victims, trying to find basically prey, anyone that they can destroy, who has been unwilling to condemn the January 6th prisoners. That's the case. That's why they're going after Nick Fuentes. He's also on the no-fly list, apparently. Um, he's taking it in stride, but I just want to go ahead and say publicly that I think the Nick Fuentes uh, subpoena is absolutely wrong. I think the January 6th commission ought to be disbanded. I think that the real travesty as it relates to January 6th is, in fact, that those people are still incarcerated over there in, in Washington, D.C. for, what, trespassing? In a public building, no less. So, yeah, there is that. Oh. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, we were talking, I think, at the very beginning of the show. You, Me and the chat, that's who we are. Um, we were talking in the beginning a little bit about how the British government just abolished their, their mandates. So at least at the national level, they abolished the, the mandates. And honestly, I think that's absolutely election-related. Uh, but what I do find interesting is it means that they know what the people want. And that's always, it's always interesting when you have a case where you've got the representatives who are aware there's an election coming up, and so they decide to just do exactly what um, everybody, uh, they do exactly what the people want, just temporarily so they can get through the election. It's like, you're called a representative for a reason. Like, represent, please. Um, but they don't, of course. Um, but it is a clear indication that they know exactly what the people want, and they don't care. The upcoming elections in May in England are local elections. They are not general elections. They will not result in um, Boris being replaced, for example, or even directly losing his power. The thing is that Boris Johnson is trying to ward off a vote of no confidence that just needs a few more votes in order for him to kind of get dethroned in that manner by his own party. And it is known that he defied his own mandates multiple times. He went to various parties. There are uh, photos and videos that have been released of him drinking no mask in a group. And again, I don't want people to wear, sorry, I don't care if people wear masks I'm, I'm on YouTube. Um, I don't care about that. I do think, however, that if politicians are going to force their entire country into lockdowns, if they're going to force ridiculous measures onto other people, then they ought to live up to them themselves. I don't think that's an unreasonable request. If you can't live like that, don't require that other people live like that. Um, and that's exactly what Boris did. He uh, held everybody in a state of imprisonment and then lived like he wasn't under imprisonment because, you know, he's better than the little people and he knows what he's doing. And he decided that those particular events, well, they were work-related and it wasn't that big of a deal. You know, he decided because he can decide because he's the prime minister and he's better than the little people. Um, this is his, th his, his thought process as, as defined by his actions, right? And so I don't, I don't think that there's any greatness in the fact that he has now gotten rid of the nationwide mandates. What's going to happen, of course, is that instead <clears throat> that gives the power to the localities to impose the very same mandates.
<coughs> sorry, I'm having a problem with my throat tonight. Um, it gives him the power to put into place the same mandates that he had. Because unlike, like, say, when uh, when DeSantis, or I think even in Texas, they also, uh, with Greg Abbott, put in place not just the elimination of these mandates, but also they put in place the fact that localities did not have the power to put these back. They, 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 they forbade the local authorities from stepping in and saying, well, in our, in our city or in our county, we're going to require it. That hasn't been the case in, with, with Boris. He hasn't done that, which means that he's just kind of covering his own back and sort of shirking his own duty and putting it onto everybody else. <clears throat> um, thank you to St. Miles in the chat. Uh, good to see you. Uh, in any case, yeah, so what I, what I would expect to happen is basically that after the election, things kind of get worse again. Maybe they'll discover a new strain. I know, but the next one, because, you know, we haven't had enough, and then they'll have the, the fifth booster shot. And it sounds like a joke, but it was a joke when I was talking about the third booster shot. It was funny then, it's not now. That's where we are, it's not my fault, that's just the way that things are. But um, I do want to talk, see it's getting late, so I actually want to jump uh, topics. Because in the last week, and I do try to cover the important news of the week, we had a, a hostage situation, right? We had a, we had a terrorist attack, right? You had, um, what was his name? Uh, Malik, this guy. You had Malik, who went into a synagogue and took, took some hostages. And the thing was that when they took these hostages, what the American media covered wasn't the fact that this guy is an Islamic terrorist. Nope. Instead, what they reported was he has an English accent. Like, what? That's, that's, the, that's their primary bit of information, and I'm like... What did we do, you know? Uh, you've got to watch those people with British accents. You've got to watch those British immigrants. They're, they're trouble, you know? Who knows how many synagogues they're going to attack. I mean, <laughs> is that what we're supposed to be paying attention to, really? Really? His British accent is the warning sign. It's not the Allahu Akbar thing. That, that wasn't it at all. It, it wasn't that. It wasn't the fact that, you know, he's Islamic. It wasn't that. Even though he's talking about Allah or Allah, whichever, I don't care. Um, it was his Britishness. Um, I found that amazing. It was a lot like that, um, you know, the SUV that attacked people at the Christmas fair. You remember that? Yeah, that's, that's, that's this guy in his British accent. And I'm like, we, we didn't do it. Like, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't we with the British accents. That wasn't, that wasn't this sort of dominating factor there. I just wanted to kind of clear this up because i know some people are kind of wondering how many different british immigrants at this point are a problem so I, I needed to kind of clear the air here it's not like it's our people so to speak it's it's much more about his islamic faith if we're going to call that faith um it's much more about that than it is about his accent just just to clear this up because i need you guys to know but i do want to show you something actually his other picture this is also him, and I know that you can't see him very well, but it's important for you to pay attention to that sign that says, End the Nightmare, that demonstrates that he is a true Brit with a public school education. Um, I saw that and I was like, wow, he really did go to a public school in England. Um, I can see it. He's, he's basically British. Um, 
I've been to a public school in England, so I get to say that. Uh, I know, I lived it. Uh, but in any case, um, it was unreal, guys. It's like, you've got an Islamic terrorist attack. I'll say it because nobody else will, it would seem. They're all, you know, like, they're busy sort of avoiding the topic. They're like, he's talking with a British accent, and he's talking to his brother back in England as if, you know, he, he grew up um, somewhere in... Uh, you know, in Yorkshire, and that's just kind of a part of who he is, and it's like, what? No. No, no, no. So he's an Islamic terrorist who's engaging in Islamic in an Islamic attack, and um, that's it. That's the reason for what he's doing. That's the ideology that he's following. It's the ideology that he's carrying out. Um, although I did notice, I don't know if you guys saw this, hold on. Let me pull this belt one back up. Notice he's pulling down his mask, I think. I'm pretty sure he's pulling down his mask for that picture. You know, because he cares about safety so much. Um, <laughs> just, I just thought it ironic. He's, he's, you know, the guy who... Apparently he came into the United States and stayed at um, a couple of homeless shelters and somehow acquired the weapon. This is what we're, we're told. I hope you're believing this because I don't want any conspiracy theorists in here. Um... Acquired the weapon, just as one does easily on American streets. And um, and then went into a synagogue and took them hostage. And then, you know, uh, called his, his very British brother, who's I'm sure as British as he is, or as English as he is. Um, but at least he wore a mask the whole time because he wanted everyone to be safe. You know? Um, that's what decent people do, don't you know? Um, his actual phone... <laughs> Sorry. Uh, his actual uh, phone call that he, he did make to his brother, um, he said he wanted to be a martyr for Allah. So it's not, it's not like it's something that's difficult to figure out why he did this. We shouldn't be confused. JP says, if you've ever read the Quran, you can see all this violence is literally part of their religion. Exactly. And that's the thing. And I always have people who, who say stuff to me like, well, there are good Mus Muslims. It's like, well, yes, but they're not good followers of their faith. And that's the thing. It's like, like you have lots of different people and all, all over the scale who describe themselves as Christian. Plenty of them have done horrendous things, okay? But the thing is that when they were doing those horrendous things, they weren't being Christian. They weren't actually acting out their faith. They were in violation of it. And when you've got a Muslim who's doing something like a attempting to achieve martyrdom, by attacking members who are not of his faith, then that's that's him being a good Muslim. So when you say, well, there are good Muslims, you're like, well, no, there are good people who proclaim to be Muslims, but good Muslims in the sense that they're following their faith are bad people. And that's ultimately where you, where you have to kind of draw the line and understand. And this whole thing about how he he lived in a homeless shelter and purchased guns on the street. I mean, it seems a heck of a lot more likely that instead he met up with fellow terrorists here in the United States and they gave him the gun. But speculating about that means speculating about the fact that not only is there one terrorist who's a Muslim, but that there are lots of them, or at least several of them, right? Can, can we say that much? I don't know. It depends on who you ask. But ultimately, there are people who are terroristic sympathizers, and it's a heck of a lot more common in the Muslim community than people want to believe. There was this clip going around 
I don't know, probably five years ago or something, where it was this uh, preacher in a mosque, and he was saying to people, look, I'm a moderate Muslim, uh, and I think you're moderate Muslims. Now, how many people think that people need to be killed if they're apostates, if they, if they leave Islam? Like All of them hold their hand, and they're like, well, how many of you think that homosexuals need to be killed? And it's like, most of them held their hand up. So it really depends on uh, how you consider them moderate. I think there are a lot of people who are sympathetic to this kind of an action, who may not be willing to engage in themselves because they've got their own families and their own issues, but I think they're a lot more uh, sympathetic to this kind of thing that I think people would like to believe, and that's because of what's in the book. So what the uh, Chatter said earlier, it's like it's, if it's really if it's literally part of their religion, then how could they be condemning the people who uh, who act that out? That's that's really the problem. Um. Be careful you don't want a fatwa on your head. I've said I've said worse things in videos and they're still up and people send me death threats and I don't care. Um if I wanted to, to kinda of hide in the shadows, this would not be the job to do. Um now we have moderate Democrats, yeah I know. Um the Zimbo, I lived in the Middle East for thirty three years. My Muslim friends often said they are not Muslim. I told them that it doesn't matter what you or I think, it is what the Muslim extremist thinks. But at a certain point, you have to just kind of look at the, the book and say, okay, so they're acting it out. Like at the um, Lee Rigby death, he was the soldier who was in the streets of London, and he was beheaded. And the attacker who beheaded him on, literally on the streets of London with this like machete or sword, I don't remember which, I know effectively they're very similar. Um, and he was live streaming, this attacker was, afterwards, and he started to quote off the the, verse, the verses from Surah 9 um, that specifically said that a person should engage in this kind of action. And it was like, well, how can you argue that he doesn't know his religion? He's like literally reading off the verses from memory that tell him to do this. It's like, um, I'm not one to tell him he's he's being a bad Muslim and he's not following his faith. Like, he is, I just think his faith is the problem. I think the religion is the problem. Um, I'm just one of the very few people who's willing to actually come out and say that publicly. Um, but the religion that he follows is the problem. Um, okay. Um, moving on. Um, oh, this is not similar at all. I was going to say it's sort of similar, but it's not. There's the uh, March for Life in DC tomorrow of people who are fighting against um, against abortion. And as a similar topic to that though, in California, they're talking about offering free money to medical workers who will do abortions. And by free money, I mean, they'll pay off their student loans. And we're talking about student loans for people who are like doctors. So these are massive student loans that we're gonna pay off using tax money. And this is if lawmakers vote on a $20 million proposal in the state's new draft budget. They're serious about this. California healthcare workers who commit to providing abortions would see their student loans repaid and prospective abortion industry workers could actually receive scholarships using California tax money. It's like literally putting their putting a bounty on the heads of the unborn. Like, we'll give you free money if you just agree to, to, to kill these kids that you wouldn't have been willing to kill before. Um, and, you know, most medical workers don't want to do abortions. That's a known fact. They don't want to be involved in the process. I can understand why. Um, 
So what you're basically doing is creating a system where workers who find it unconscionable to engage in this, in this uh, barbarism have to pay their own student loans, right? So those people have to, you know, get the $100,000 debt or two. Um, but the people who agree to work in that industry don't have to. And that is paid for by, by California, by California tax money. And you can, you can roll your eyes and say it's California, but there are literally millions of people who voted for Trump in California. Like, there are millions of people who are conservative in California. There are millions of people who are opposed to using their tax money to fund this in California. And I think in general, people are opposed to using tax money for this. This is one of the reason, one of the ways, I should say, in which our representatives very clearly do not represent us. And when you ever you have leftists say we have a democracy or we should have a democracy or whatever, you you pin them down on stuff like this, and they don't want a democracy. That's why they took gay marriage to the Supreme Court. That's why Roe versus Wade went to the Supreme Court because they didn't want a democracy because they had, <laughs> because in a democratic system they lost. In a republic, they lost, right? They wanted the United States to work like a dictatorship in which Roe versus Wade became the sort of uh, exclusive decision that weighed down on the rest of the country and took away people's rights. The, you know, the, the state's rights, that is, to make their own laws. That's what they actually wanted. And it's like, whenever it comes to a decision that they don't like, they t try to take it to the Supreme Court, and they're always like, well, we, we, you know, we want freedoms. It's like, no, you don't. You literally want to get rid of people's freedoms to make their own laws. That's what you're taking to the Supreme Court, and that's, that's, the, entire, that's the entire thesis. Uh, no, this is not pre-recorded to, I don't know how to pronounce your name, but you asked on Trovo. There you go. Um, okay, I don't usually see comments on Trovo. In fact, I forgot that I was streaming to that. So, hey, and welcome. Um, and uh, Gavin Newsom, the California governor, pledged to make California a, as I quote, sanctuary of abortion, unquote, after, the, after Texas passed their most recent law. The law in Texas is basically a, a heartbeat law um, that more or less prohibits abortions after there is a... Uh, heartbeat in place so after you have a detectable heartbeat in the child you don't kill them oh, or you can't kill them that's basically it and there are a lot of different there have been a lot of attempts to create and pass heartbeat laws throughout the united states uh usually they failed this one was the first one to actually succeed um and it has upset a lot of people hence gavin newsom all right let's move on to something more uplifting i can't think of anything more you know more the opposite You talk funny. Yeah, it's, it's a British accent. Welcome. Um, anyway, let's talk about Quebec and Canada. That's the French region of Canada, which means that there's going to be lots of words in this that I can't, I can't properly say, which isn't my fault. I just, you know, I'm English, so I genetically more or less can't do French. Um, so there is that. In any case, over in Quebec, there is a superior court judge whose name is... Jean-Sebastien Villancourt. I'm going with that. Here's the judge's name, so you can do your own best pronunciation of that name, because I did the best that I could, and that's just all there is to it. 
This judge denied a father access to his 12-year-old child on the basis that he's not vaccinated for COVID. Yes, this actually happened. I think this is the sort of next step. Oh, I guess it's the latest step in the sort of degradation of rights under the auspices of health and safety. That's where we are. And, you know, he actually said, I'm going to quote this. And this is this judge, quote, it would normally have been in the best interest of the child to have contact with his father, but not in the best interest to have contact with him if he is not vaccinated. Uh, no, I'm going to go with no on that. The truth is that when you look at outcomes of, of people and how well they do in life, the biggest indicator is whether or not they, they were raised in single parent homes. That's the biggest indicator for success. Even Obama said as much. And, you know, I just quoted Obama and Hillary Clinton in one show. I don't know what's wrong with me tonight. But in any case, um, it's a known fact. If you want kids to turn out well, you give them access to a mother and a father. It's that simple, you know? Both parents, same home. It is not in the best interest of this child to be denied access to his father. The mother in this case is, oh my gosh, um, a wicked person, uh, given her actions. She tried to prevent the father from having access to his child on the basis that, and by producing, Facebook posts showing that the father opposed the coronavirus vaccines. So what? So, so in other words, on the basis that he's free, on, on the basis that he has opinions that she doesn't like, on the basis that she has opinions she didn't think that the court would like, on the basis of all that, they denied access between a child and his father. That is evil. Um, that is absolutely evil. Um... Dick Toll says race is the biggest correlator of crime and IQ. Um, There's a pretty uh, heavy indicator based upon what kind of uh, homes they came they came from. And when it comes to race, you certainly have a disproportionate amount of especially black children in the United States who do not come from fathered homes. And you do have cases of plenty of black people who do become successful and do well in life when they come from decent homes. That's what we should focus on fixing. Um, but back on, on this particular point, the 12-year-old child is fully vaccinated, which I, I can't even imagine. But in any case, the 12-year-old child is fully vaccinated, so let's just take that, you know, as it is. But the judge stated that it wasn't enough for the child to be around the unvaccinated father. So, like, do they work or not? Because if they work... And the 12-year-old is vaccinated, then the 12-year-old is not at risk, right? And so there should be no, no reason to get the, the child, to get the father vaccinated, right? If they don't work, then there is equally no reason to get the father vaccinated. And instead they have scheduled a new hearing in February to see what, what, his what the father's vaccination status is. In other words, bend the knee or you don't see your child again. That's, it's twisted and it's evil. 
and that's the situation in the world today. And this is Quebec, which is a province in Canada that has been most stringent uh, about the unvaccinated, has been trying to punish them in different ways. Earlier this week, the premier of Quebec, who has a name that I also cannot pronounce because French, um, announced that all unvaccinated residents will be made to pay a, quote, significant sum of money, unquote, to the government for not getting the jab. No exact amount was stated, but that's their newest plan, is to literally charge people for being purebloods. They're going to literally charge people for for maintaining the idea that they ought to have, that they do have a right to control their own body, a right to make their own medical decisions, and that they don't trust, I don't know, Bill Gates to make their medical decisions for them. Um, that's the situation that we're in. And I can't believe that so many people are still going along with it at this point, are still kind of signing up that to, to the notion that a government anywhere ought to have this much power because they shouldn't. It's that simple. They should not have this much power. Uh, they shouldn't have power over the, in the sovereignty of the individual. They really shouldn't. Okay, I'm going to um, wrap, up the, wrap up the stream tonight because it is getting late. And I know I always go over and I have gone over because that's my thing. This is, this is the hour show that's always like an hour 20. I don't know why, it just is. That's how much I have to say. So that's just how long it happens to be. Um, let's see. Israel finally admitting that natural immunity is best. I did hear that, and they, they are starting to uh, fix their policies, but they certainly made slaves out of their citizens over there before doing so. Um, Zimbo says, I'm in British Columbia living in solitary confinement. I, I'm really sorry to hear that. I know that there are a lot of people who are out there and who are suffering with um, a, a sense of just isolation and loneliness and have been made into second-class citizens by their governments, and I can't tell you enough, I, I'm sorry that you've been subjected to that and that you are being subjected to that. Congratulations for still fighting, though, for, for still maintaining pure in 2022. There aren't that many of us at this point. Krista Espoval said, this has been the longest two weeks ever. Yes, yes, I know. About two weeks to, to comply. And then everyone complied, and now here we are. This is why you don't ever comply with the government. Okay, um, that's a bit of a grand statement. But in any case, when they when they say they're going to take your rights for just a little while, and then they'll give them back. Yeah, that that's a lie. Uh, they don't. Government agencies last forever. Governments never give you more power. Governments never give up their power. Yeah. Did you see the Biden press conference and have any thoughts about it? Well, I think I discussed it a little bit earlier. But yeah, um, I don't really have many more thoughts about it because it was just kind of... It was like watching a guy with dementia who was just kind of not really sure where he was. And there were these long pauses and um, it was kind of shameful, the entire thing. Uh, and I, yeah, uh, absolutely. Okay, anyway. And before I, I end this show, I do want to thank those of you who have been uh, supporting me and supporting the show. Um, I know some of you keep me in prayer, some of you send me messages um, encouraging me to keep going, some of you financially support the show on Subscribestar um, or directly through my own site, sarahcorry.com. Thank you, um, because you, in the most literal sense, uh, keep the show going. And I will be here again next Thursday. I also have, I think, three shows that I um, 
want to work on and want to produce outside of the live stream that are just like individual shows at least two of which i would not be able to put on youtube so they would be available on the other platforms that i go to if you are not subscribed to me on those platforms please do uh, just look up my name you know it's it's spelled out in the corner this is, this is mirrored so i'm kind of confused yeah that corner um okay at, at gab tv at odyssey um at if you must use Rumble, also at Rumble, and at BitChute. Those are the alternative platforms that I use regularly. So if you sign up there, that would be awesome, and you'll actually get to see the videos that I can upload everywhere. Thank you again uh, tonight. You've been a really active group, and I, I appreciate it. I know we had a lot of fun, and I said things that um, I probably shouldn't have said, but it was fun anyway, and I said all of it in truth, and that's all that really matters, because you know, if we don't have truth, we don't really have a society anyway. All right, thank you guys. Have a wonderful night. Bye-bye.